Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Spark Sessions Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. We are so grateful for you and for the positive feedback that we have received. So make sure that you have subscribed, liked, shared, commented, reviewed. We want to make sure that as many people as possible are hearing these incredible stories from the folks that we're interviewing. They're sharing so many solutions, so much hope, so much positivity, and we're just really thrilled about the work that we're able to do. Today's episode is super special to me. Michelle and I sat down and had a conversation with my best friend in the whole wide world, Allison Cloherty. We've been best friends for decades. We grew up together. And it has just been an incredible journey for me to watch her grow as a mom and as a businesswoman, um, as someone who started a nonprofit. Y'all, she's just incredible. I've always been incredibly impressed with Allison. She's in my sacred inner circle. But just being able to see her flourish in the way that she has, it just it makes me so happy. So I am honored and thrilled to share her story with you today. Allison, welcome. Thanks for coming on and saying yes to Spark Sessions. Thanks for having me. So Allison is the co-founder and executive director of Blind Early Services of Tennessee. It's a nonprofit also known as BEST. She also has a blog called Seeing Things in a Different Way. And she's a mom. She's a wife. She's a student. She's doing literally doing all the things right now. Allison also happens to be somebody I've known for a very long time. So this is kind of a special, special time for us. So I'd love for you to start, Al, if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your family. What brought you to what you're doing right now with BEST? Well, my family, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm married to my husband, Patrick, and we have two amazing kiddos, Finn and Sloan. Sloan is about to turn two in July, and she's my little firecracker, wild child. And Finn is three and a half, and um, he's my sweet, sensitive little cuddle bug. And he happened to be born completely blind. So he is really the inspiration and motivation behind what I am doing now and why I changed careers at the ripe old age of 40 years old. (laughs) Um, So Finn, um, when he was born, I had no idea that he was going to have a disability. So I had a full-term normal pregnancy. Um, He was born and in the hospital, we were about to check out and the doctor who was on call and kind of doing the routine pediatric visits came through and said, you know, has anyone said anything to you about his eyes? And it was a very flippant, casual remark um, that, really, I didn't think that much about at the time. And it ended up turning into, um, you know, several doctor appointments over the next two weeks with a several day old newborn um, to figure out exactly what they had seen. And turned out that both the retinas uh, in each of his two eyes were completely detached. So that means he's getting no information through his visual pathway to the brain. He did have surgery on both eyes at eight weeks and 16 weeks old um, to try to repair some of the detachment, but those were not successful. So he, he is and will always be completely blind. And it's really what 
sparked me into, uh, like I said, changing careers and what I'm doing with BEST. You know, one of the things that I think Chris and I are really priding ourselves on is we're bringing in so many people from so many different walks of life with so many different lived experiences. We talk about that and we just really like highlighting the lived experiences of people who have, you know, been touched by something, you know, and in your case, you know, it sounds like from, you know, per- very, this is a very personal story for you, you know, the, the birth of your child. And so talk to us about this organization. Talk to us about what is, you know, best and, and help our listeners understand um, sort of what you started to do with that change of career. Yeah, so um, when any child in the U.S. is born with a disability, they're protected under federal laws. The, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act provides under Part C uh, early intervention, which is a program for anyone aged birth to three um, in-home direct services like speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, anything that that child needs because when you're born with a disability, you're essentially born with a chance at developmental delays, basically. And those are supposed to be specialized service to the child, so whatever that child needs. So when uh, Finn was born, our pediatrician, you know, recommended that we enroll in the early intervention system, and, and so we did. And we were given um, a service coordinator who came to the house and did an assessment and said, okay, here's what I think he needs. He needs a developmental therapist. And I said, okay, sure. That's what you tell me my kid needs. That's what he needs. So uh, the developmental therapist came to work with Finn. And, you know, like I said, I, I was a new mom for the very first time. I'd read all the baby books. I was so prepared and ready to go. And then my child was born with a disability that I knew nothing about. He was the first person who was blind that I had ever met. Um, and I could have just thrown all those books out the window. They were almost worthless to me at this point because I just felt like, well, they didn't tell me what to do if my child couldn't see me and couldn't see what I was doing to teach him. So when the developmental therapist showed up at the door, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the answer. There's someone who's coming into my home and is going to tell me what to do. And she came in and, you know, I said, Finn, you know, is completely blind and can you help me? And she said, well, I've never worked with a child who's blind before. I, I don't really, I can help you with development, but I can't really help you with development specific to a child with a visual impairment. And so I just sat there kind of defeated, like, well, you were supposed to be <laughs> the answer for me. So I started doing my research and lucky for me, I had studied um, education policy I have a master's degree in that and had studied it prior to going into a career in marketing. And I wasn't using this degree, but I just had some of that knowledge in the back of my mind. And it just wasn't sitting with me right that this was the only service they were recommending. And so I started doing the research and I learned what a teacher of the visually impaired was. I learned what an orientation and mobility specialist was. So teacher of the visually impaired or TVI is a teacher who is trained to work with children birth to 21 who are blind and it's there to offer all the support and services that they need. And then an orientation and mobility specialist is someone who's there to work in helping them 
move around their environment if they can't see it. And everything I was reading was saying these are the two most important services that a child who is blind or visually impaired needs. Um, so I pushed back with our state um, early intervention system and I said, you know, I want a TVI or an O&M to come and work with my child. That's what he's has a right to under this law and that's what I need. And um, it took about six months and um, I was successful, but I got a TVI to come and work with Finn basically on loan. So they found someone at our local school for the blind and she agreed to work with him after school. And um, it wasn't a lasting solution or model for other families. It just so happened that I was the squeaky wheel and they were going to give me what I asked for because I kept fighting hard enough. But lo and behold, there was another mom in Nashville doing the same thing that I was. That, and I didn't know her yet, but she was going through the same process and she ended up getting the same TVI to come and work with her son. And we were introduced to each other by that TVI. And so we became friends and started talking about how it's just not right that we had to fight so hard to get help that should just be a seamless thing offered to families like ours. And so the first thing I did was I decided to go back to school and become a TVI myself. So that's the student part of what Chris mentioned in her intro. So I am getting certified so that I can actually go into homes and help other families like mine. Um, and then the second piece is that my friend that I mentioned, Stacy, she and I decided to start this nonprofit, BEST. And it has three services as part of it. The first is family support. So introducing parents to each other, helping them find each other across the state of Tennessee and connecting them with resources, do webinars. We're starting a podcast inspired by you two and just trying to make sure they feel equipped, empowered and educated. And then the second piece is early intervention. So um, 80 to 90% of what a child learns is through the visual pathway when it is present. So if a child does not have vision, that means they have to incorporate that information using their other senses somehow. So that's 80 to 90%, almost harder they have to work to get the same information as a child who learns things incidentally, just by looking out the window and me pointing and saying, that's a bird, you know. So that plus the fact that 90% of brain development occurs before the age of six is why early intervention is so important and why services starting at birth or diagnosis is critical. I'm really proud to say that you know, we only started this nonprofit back in October of 2020. And we have already been awarded a contract with early intervention for the next three years that That's starts amazing. in July. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we're actually going to be a part of the system, you know, that I don't want to say it failed us. It didn't fail us, but it needed some improvement for children who are blind or visually impaired. And I'm really proud to say that we're going to be a part of, of making that happen now. So um, we'll be offering early intervention to families in Middle Tennessee and hope to expand that across the state. And then the third piece is advocacy. So we have a disability rights attorney on our board and use her as a great resource so that if parents need help with their IFA 
FSP and IEPs and anything else that they need, you know, if they're going through what we went through and they just need a champion in their corner, then we're, we're going to try to provide that as well. I love that you like, literally there's a, there's a gap in service. You Mm -hmm. saw it. You're like, this gap affects me. It affects my child. It has to affect other families. And so after you fought and advocated for Finn and advocated for your family, you decided to then continue to do that for other people. So I really appreciate that you saw that gap and then that moved you to action to do something about it because you could have made the decision to just say, you know what, thankfully Finn, you know, Finn now has what he needs and now I know what to do and, and I'll go and study this. And, but instead you created this entire nonprofit in order to stand in the gap for other families. And Mm -hmm. I just, I just want to say how amazing I think that is. Oh, thank you. Yeah, which is very amazing because, I mean, we're really talking about when we talk a lot about, you know, social justice issues or disparities. And, you know, Chris and I talk a lot about this. We talk to people that come on to our podcast. And when you were talking, I really was sitting here thinking about how many families, minoritized and racialized families who have had children who were born visually impaired or blind, that maybe the system did fail because they didn't know or they didn't have the access or, you know, some of the privileges that we have with being educated, you Mm -hmm. know, different levels of privilege. And so how do you see your nonprofit really branching out to help some of the racialized and minoritized communities that maybe don't know or get like even referred, maybe the families don't even get referred. I I don't know that much about this area. Yeah. Well, when we first started the nonprofit, um, you know, our, our thinking was the system kind of failed us. We're going to do our own thing and be separate from that. Mm. But, um, after doing some thought and really, you know, looking into it, most families who do have a child born with any type of disability are referred to early intervention. But where the gap comes in is when the person who's their service coordinator doesn't know what services are out there to recommend to the family, it kind of stops there. Mm So, you know, I could have easily said, okay, well, the developmental therapist, that's it, you know, and it would have gone no further. And that is exactly what you're talking about. There's many families where that happens. So our goal is to work within the system to start educating them. And I think by them um, awarding us this contract, they're recognizing that there is that need. So that's a very positive first step. So we've already offered to do some training sessions with the service coordinators. We're trying to reach out to all of those across the state that work within early intervention to let them know that we're here, why we're here, why it's so important. And so they will think of us as the first step. You know, we want when any blind or visually impaired child is born in the state of Tennessee, we want the first words that family to hear after those sometimes scary words um, to be, but there's a place to turn and it's called best. So we've also been reaching out to um, pediatricians, ophthalmologists, pediatric optometrists, um, and we're doing seminars, webinars with all of them and just trying to get the word out there to educate families and I've been really pleased, you know, our very first client with um, Best that we saw several months ago, um, the child was two and a half and had never had a TVI because of all the things we've just discussed. But luckily, 
the word had gotten out recently about us and one of the therapists on that child's team said, hey, I think you should call this place called Best. Now, do I wish we would have gotten in there two and a half years ago? Yes, absolutely. But at least it's working and we were able to get in there now and hopefully help. So um, yeah, we're, we're going to try to get get the word spread as much as we can. And I do think working within the system is probably our best way of reaching as many families as we possibly can. We're big believers that, you know, you got to get in the system to dismantle the system. Yes. Yep. To, to shake it up. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, Allison, I, I think that I've learned so much from you in my my whole life, but one of the things that most recently, (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that I feel I have learned most from you and your journey and your life with Finn and your family's life is the importance of language and how often we flippantly use ableist language. And would you mind talking a little bit about, about that piece and how you've really tried to to help those of us that do say things that are ableist yeah. to stop doing that and really call yes. attention to this really important, important piece. Yes. I mean, one thing I really regret or just hate is that we often don't realize things that we're doing that have negative impact until it actually affects us. And, and I hate to say that, but it was the same for me. I know I was using ableist language before I had a son who was disabled and I really realized the impact of it. And I also used to be the first person to say, well, intention is what matters the most, you know, that that came from a good place or they just don't know. And I would sort of ignore those kinds of comments. But I've learned um, in doing a lot of work over the last year or two that impact is just as important, if not more important than the intention behind it. And so I've really, you know, started to do the work inside myself. I think that's where everyone has to start. You know, if you notice that you've used language in an inappropriate way, call yourself out on it and and say, oops, that was not right. I shouldn't have used that. But, you know, the word um, blind is not a bad word. It's not that no one should ever use the word blind. I mean, my son is blind and that is part of who he is and it's great. But the problem is when that word is used to mean something other than he has no, you know, physical vision. If you use it to mean ignorant or has no knowledge or capabilities, you know, if you're using it to insult someone, well, that's a problem. And we definitely need to dismantle that. So I definitely implore people to call others out. You know, I had a friend recently who used blind in a text message in a way that meant ignorant. And I remember texting you, Chris, and saying, what do I do? I mean, this is a close friend and I I need to figure out how to handle this in a way that we both feel okay with it. And, you know, I I had to sort of talk through it because it's hard. It's hard with someone you know well, and it's hard with a stranger. You think, well, I'll never see them again. I don't need to. But if you don't call it out, they're going to keep using it and they're going to keep having that impact over and over and they're going to spread it to the next person or to the children they're raising. So I, I did call that friend privately. You know, it was a group text message thread and I let her know privately that the way she was using it was probably not intentional, but this is how it was. And she immediately responded, thank you so much for telling me. I mean, I think most 
good people who have good intentions would appreciate being told that they're using ableist language. So um, I definitely am trying to do the work myself to, to change that and, and teach others to do the same. You know, I, I think we often say call out, but I, I think it's more about calling somebody in. Mm. So I think it's, you know, showing this is something that I noticed and I'd like to call you into this, yeah. this part of my life. Cause really what you're doing there is sharing that this impacts my life and it impacts Finn's life. Yes. And here's another way to think about it. Cause I often, I do think people often will say things without the true consideration of what's on the, yeah. the other end of, of their words. Yeah. And I think just a lot of people, I'm a huge believer in the social model of disability, which I also didn't know a lot about before having Finn. But, you know, it's basically saying that the reason someone with a disability is viewed as incapable is because of all the constraints placed on them by society or the lack of access to things. It isn't that my son can't do everything that any of us here who are sighted can do. It's that society is set up for sighted people to thrive and it's harder because of the way society is constructed for people who don't have sight to thrive and that's not his fault you know that is our our fault as a society that we keep perpetuating that so I really try to you know do my best as one person to kind of reframe the looking at disability as you know they don't have a lack of ability. It's, it's again, they have a lack of access. I love that. I love what you also said, Chris. I had not used that or thought about that call in. And I think it's important in the work that we're doing around really dismantling the isms. We talk about that all the time and how to do that. And I, I love the call in because we want you to do better. We want people to understand, to have more education, to be able to change the narrative, to change this very deficit narrative and deficit story for people with differing, right? Not necessarily that, like you said, the lack, but differing abilities. And a lot of that is because of the systemic and the structural issues like you have just told us about, Allison, even in in this realm. And a lot of the things that I've been taught in the work that I'm doing is, you know, you have to start with the people that are closest to you. If we can't talk to the people that are closest to us, then how effective are we really going to be in making the changes, you know, within society and everybody else that we that we touch? Yes. And I think for any minority group, if the minority group themselves are the only ones fighting for more access or more equity or equality, then it's never going to change. We have to get behind them and, and help as part of the majority, right? So we have to <laughs> empower them in addition to them empowering themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And be in, the, be in it in the fight with them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Led led by people who are most affected by whatever it is, right? So if we are, you know, trying to be effective supporters and allies in the disability rights movement, then we need to hear from people who are living with disability. Yes. It's, It's about centering their lived experiences, not those of us who may not be differently abled. 
Yeah, absolutely. You all are going to be a standalone organization. You're going to be an agency that's about to serve the whole state of Tennessee. I just feel it. So (laughs) I have two things. So one is, do you know of other places in other states that are doing the same work that you are doing or have you linked with? I mean, if this is a need in other states, so my next thing I'm going to go is like this call to action. So is this something that is happening that that you've seen across the U.S.? Like, where are we with this with that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so when Stacy and I started talking about this idea of best, it really started because of an organization in Kentucky called VIPS, which is Visually Impaired Preschool Services. And as part of my education at UK right now, I'm at the University of Kentucky doing my TVI degree, a woman from VIPS came and spoke and she was a guest speaker. And I thought, gosh, if Finn had been born literally 45 minutes away over the state lines in Kentucky, we would have had this robust array of services offered to us because VIPS has early intervention, but they also have a brick and mortar preschool. They have a brick and mortar resource center. They're serving the entire state of Kentucky and now the entire state of Indiana. And you know, I said to Stacy, have you ever heard of this program called VIPS? And she said, oh my gosh, I actually went to their parent retreat last summer, the summer before we were talking about all of this. And she had just found them online and decided to go and check it out for herself. And so it was sort of this weird, like I got chills as we were starting to talk about it with each other. And so they've really been our model. Um, and we did research other organizations. There's two great organizations out of Denver, Colorado, definitely some in California and Florida. So there's certainly other organizations doing this, not across the whole U.S., um, but the ones who are have been so instrumental in helping us. I mean, we're not looking to reinvent a wheel that's successful somewhere else. And so we've called them all and had conversations. And, you know, for me coming from corporate America, moving into nonprofit world, I was so shocked when we called and said, you know, we want to try to do what you're doing in Tennessee. Would you help us? And they basically just turned over all the information and gave us the, you know, blueprint as to how they did it and how they're doing and what's worked and what hasn't. And I'm so used to things being held so close to the vest because you don't want someone to steal your proprietary information. But, you know, we're all mission-based in this nonprofit world and we're here to help serve as many families as possible. And so they were all forthcoming. I mean, VIPs in particular, we have regular conversations with them. Pretty much anything that goes out the door for us, we run by them first right now since we're still a startup and they have helped us so much. So yeah, I mean, I would love to see it done in every state in the U.S. and maybe that's where we're headed. Um, also, speaking legislatively in Florida, I did speak to a woman who wrote 20 years ago now what's called the Blind Babies Bill, and it established for the state of Florida what they call lighthouses. So different counties operate within different lighthouses throughout the state to get early intervention specific to children who are blind or low vision. And um, she went to the state legislator and asked for $250,000 to be given um, to the state to fund these programs, again, 20 years ago. Well, she got a million dollars, and it has been established year over year, funded again and again, year over year for her. And um, 
is still in place now. And she's given us a copy of that bill and we definitely plan to rewrite it here in Tennessee and try to get it to our local legislator and hopefully get passed here too. Um, you know, we're a private nonprofit, so we don't want to be dependent only on state funding because with changes in um, political leadership, funding can go. So we don't want to ever be completely dependent on that. But the more funding we can establish for families like this, the better. So we do hope to do something like that too. But yeah, we're following in the footsteps of some really great organizations out there for sure. That's really awesome. I love that. So Allison, if, if you had the chance to tell our listeners what you want them to know about your kids, Finn in particular, what would you tell them? Really kind of alluding to what I said before, but that Finn is perfectly capable and able to do almost anything that anyone else can do. And the things that he maybe can't do aren't necessarily because he has no vision. I mean, there's things that I can't do. I, I'm not going to be, you know, an opera singer. I wasn't born with that talent. And, you know, that's okay. It's not something I sit around daydreaming. Oh, I wish that I could be an opera singer. And Finn, I don't believe, I mean, he's still young, but from talking to other um, adults who are blind and born blind in particular, I do think there is a difference between being born blind and losing your vision. So for Finn, he never lost anything. He's never grieved the loss of that sense. So I don't think it will ever be for him, again, based on what others have said, that something he sits around, you know, wishing he had or feeling a loss. I would say that most blind people that I have spoken to would say if you could give them their vision, would they want to get it? And they almost always say no. And I had one person recently who said, and I loved how she put this, she equated it to a superpower. You know, when she was growing up, she looked at it as, you know, a superpower like being able to fly. Like it's something that sounds kind of cool, but you know you can't do it. And so you don't really spend time thinking about it all the time. It's not something you're sad about. So I just, you know, when I tell people about Finn and they say, oh, you know, or they give some sort of pity or sadness, I really want to just tell them, no, no, please don't be sad. I mean, I wouldn't give him his vision right now if you gave me the option to. And if I could honestly go back to the surgeries we did when he was eight weeks and 16 weeks old, I probably wouldn't do those either. Of course, it's easy for me to say now because those weren't successful surgeries. And I, I understand that. But I know I was doing that as a sighted mom trying to fix something. And there is nothing about my son that needs to be fixed. That's the biggest thing. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. Um, so, you know, if one day science advances and there's some magic genetic, you know, therapy that could give it to him, that would be his choice um, to make as an adult. But Another story I want to tell real quick is I was, and Chris, you know this, but I was at the playground with, or at a park recently with the kids playing, and there was a little boy playing with a monster truck, like a remote monster truck, and um, Finn could hear it, and he said, what is that? And I said, there's a little boy playing with his toy monster truck, 
And he said he wanted to play with it. And I said, well, you know, maybe we'll let you play with one sometime. I'll see if we can find you one. And the mom of the other little boy heard this going on. And so she encouraged her little boy to come over and share the monster truck. So he did. He brought it over to Finn. And so I got down on the little kid's level. And I said, thank you so much for sharing your toy. Do you mind if Finn feels it? And I said, my little boy's eyes don't work the same way yours do. And he sees with his hands. So do you mind if he touches it and feels it? And the little boy said, well, I can see it with my eyes. And I said, I know that's really cool. But Finn sees with his hands. Isn't that cool? And his mom came over immediately and said to him, wow, you get to meet a real life superhero today, like the ones we talk about at home. Isn't that so cool? And this mom had clearly been reading books at home with her child about, you know, children of different abilities. And she equated my son to a superhero. And my husband and I both could have been a puddle on the floor. I mean, it was the most magical interaction we've ever had. And so the other thing I'd say is if you're a parent out there to a sighted child, you know, talk to them about children who have differences and include them in books and, you know, have that conversation so that when they interact with my child at the park, it's a cool thing and it's not a pity thing. I love that. Thank you for sharing. You know, I think we're all like I'm seeing, you know, everybody can't, listeners can't see us, but we're all looking (laughs) at each other and definitely moved um, by that story. And I think it, it gives me hope you know, and I really want to believe that if we all continue to do the work that we need to do, that we can have more of those interactions for our babies who, you know, just, just need that, you know, in order to, that's such an amazing, amazing story. And I, I really appreciate you putting that out there because that's really a call to action us on an individual level. These are things that you can do to help us change this narrative. What other advice would you give people who want to start a blog or move towards a nonprofit or just get involved with a cause like the disability rights movement? Do you have anything that you can share with us? Yeah, I have quite a few tips on the call to action piece. Um, So, well, first is what we were talking about before, the the ableist language. I mean, I think first and foremost, recognize it in yourself, call it out. And then the other is one I think that a lot of people don't think about, but it's making your social media and things that you put out into the world more accessible. Any content that you're putting out there, please think about who's on the other side of that content and do your work to make it accessible to them. So in social media, if you use hashtags, a lot of people don't know, but if you capitalize the first letter of each word within that hashtag, it's easier for people who are visually impaired using screen readers. It's easier for that to read it instead of just reading it as a jumbled run-on word, if that makes sense. If you're posting on Instagram a photo, write a photo description or use what's called alt text. So alt text is built in to all of social media outlets and you can go in and the settings and you can change the alt text within a picture that you post to describe what's there. So you can either put it in the description in your caption or you can go into the alt text and put, you know, just describe what 
is in the photo so that someone who is visually impaired or blind is scrolling through. They're not just reading your caption, but they're actually getting a visual image to go with it. Um, and the same if you post a video on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook and your stories, turn the captioning on so that there's words that go along with it and um, descriptors. Um, another call to action is for anyone out there who is in a position to hire someone. The employment rate for people who are blind or visually impaired is about 30%, which is just abysmal. And again, it is not because they don't have the ability to do the work. It is because of the perception of those people who are hiring them. Please, 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 you know, be more inclusive. Hire people who are disabled or minority or anything else to have more inclusive hiring practices in your, in your job. And actually data would show you that when you are more inclusive in hiring, you are actually seeing more productivity. In terms of BEST and starting a nonprofit, I mean, if there is anyone out there who is in another state and you don't have these services, please reach out to us. I'd be more than happy to be one of those organizations who gives you the blueprint of what we're doing. We'll share anything and everything with you um, about how to start that up. We did have a person out of Alaska recently reach out to us and say she had seen us on social media and she wanted to do the same thing there. And so we're helping her do it. We're happy to do that. But in terms of supporting uh, BEST itself, you can follow us on all social media channels. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. We have some of our webinars um, that we've held in the past up on our YouTube channel that you can go back and watch. Spread the word to anyone you know that may work with or have a family member who is blind or visually impaired. The more families we can reach, the more families we can serve and help. And you can donate to us uh, via our website, blindearlyservices.org. That's perfect. What a great way to wrap this up. And also, go follow Allison's blog. Oh, yes. Seeing things in a different way. Thank you. Thank you. It's really powerful. And literally every time she sends a blog post out, I read it immediately and I learn something every single time. So thank you. Allison, thank you so much for being so personal and opening your heart and, and your life to us and our listeners and sharing how we can better support amazing people like you and Finn. Absolutely. Thank so you. nice having you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all you all are doing. It's just so inspiring. And I'm really, really grateful. Do you know any activists or doers that you would like for us to highlight on this podcast? If so, let us know. Or if you just want to keep in touch, connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Spark Sessions Podcast or on Twitter at Spark Session Pod. Thanks, y'all.